Good evening. It has certainly been a whirlwind of a couple of weeks. Tomorrow, Monday, if anyone would like to come over and help unbox some boxes and, and organize a little bit and put things where they need to go, feel free to come by and help. Just don't make too much noise because I'm going to be in a coma in the bedroom. So, Mercy, there is a, a million things that I could say that just as we were talking about camp, a million memories flooded back and there's already so many stories that uh, I could share that would make you fall on the floor and die laughing at some of the things these young people said and did and especially Chris. Chris, <laughs> Chris, Chris said he jumped in the lake. He fell, okay? I want that to be known. He, he slipped and fell. I saw it. Secrets out, buddy. Um, man, when we, we got on the bus last Sunday, it was, it was kind of the, we'd been traveling, so there's the adrenaline from that and the tiredness of that, and uh, we got on the bus last Sunday, and we're headed to camp, and, and man, it hit me like, whoa, this is real, like, this is really happening. I started to, like, feel real uncomfortable real quick, <laughs> and I'm like, what if they hate me, you know, they, what if they, you know, don't want me to be their youth pastor, what if, you know, all these thoughts go through your mind, and you got, you know, Salvador sitting in the back, and you're thinking, I hope this guy doesn't beat me up when we stop, <laughs> and then Shane, his muscle sitting right beside him, I'm like, man, I don't want to cross these guys, and if they start acting up, do I tell them to shut up and sit down, or do I not, like, what do I do, I don't really have much authority here, yet, <laughs> um, but no, it's like we, we had so much fun as, as Brother, uh, or Alex, or you can be Brother Alex, I guess. Alex said that uh, we connected really quick, and, and man, we did it. It went so much better than I could have even imagined. Um, I know a lot of you are praying for that. You've already told me so. I know Pastor Tyler was praying about it. And uh, me personally, every morning I would get up, and, and I would go walk around the basketball court outside, and I would pray, and and. Part of the thing I'd pray for is, Lord, I'm so grateful for the connection that you gave us yesterday, but Lord, please today continue to connect us and to mend our hearts together and to, and to knit our hearts together and help us to grow together. And he really, he really, really answered that prayer. I, I really feel like he did. They're probably down there thinking like, no, like we don't feel connected to you at all, dude. Uh, but I, I personally feel like that. I, I do. We went to eat at Steak and Shake, not Steak and Shake, Freddy's. There it is. Freddy's yesterday, and we're sitting there eating our burger, and like I kind of had the blues. I'm like, man, I, I miss my teens, you know. I want to hang out with them some more. I want to do stuff. So a few of us were talking about going to IHOP tonight and getting some pancakes. Um, so, man, it's just, I love them. They're great kids. Great, great group of kids. I feel like there's a ton of potential here. Um, as, as long as we stick to the commitments we, we made at camp and, and keep growing uh, together. First off tonight, I want to start by thanking the church. Uh, without you, there is no teen camp. Amen. Without you, there's no teen department. So thank you so much for uh, your effort in making sure that we're able to go and, and uh, allowing us to have the time that we did and, and allowing God to work in your, your young people's lives the way that he did. Pastor Prater, I want to thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely I do. I want to thank you for the opportunity and helping me along. And, and Pastor Tyler, thank you so much for the investment you've already made in my life. Uh, and, and the prayers that you prayed for me while we were at camp. Um, Sid, Sid's nodding off back there, but I appreciate you, Sid. 
Sid, Miranda, and the boys, man, it's awesome. Just Caden, Lindsay, great, great, great time. And, and, and young people, I want to thank you for making this week so enjoyable for me and so easy for me. It really was a blessing. Uh, church camp is truly a special place. On Friday night, I gave the teens a quick charge about um, uh, how church camp, it's not really a training ground for disciples of Christ. It's, it's not. It's a getaway. It's a vacation. Um, it's a really low-pressure situation when you're at camp. There's not a lot to get in your way. There's not a whole lot of temptation. We try to eliminate that before we get there and, and just by monitoring with the, the counselors and all that good stuff. So it really is a low-pressure situation when you're at church camp. When you come back home, that's when the high-pressure situations uh, kick in. It's, it's easy to get right with the Lord in an environment like church camp um, but when you get back home, that's when the tests are going to fly at you. That's when uh, the tough situations and the temptations are going to come your way. These pressures, these temptations, it happens when you get back home and you get your phone back, right? The pressures pick up. It happens when you get home from camp and you're tired and you're sleepy, and you want to go to bed, but Mama says, hey, would you take the trash out? Are you kidding me, Mom? That's when the pressures come. We just, we just talked about, are we going to honor our mothers and our fathers when we get back from camp? Those pressures come. We're tired. We don't, we don't want to take trash out, so there's a pressure there to fall back into that sin. The pressures come when it's now your choice on who you want to spend your time with and when you want to spend it with them. That's when the real pressure comes. Too many times we come back from camp with a clean and pure heart and fresh commitments to God only to go back to camp the next year and repent of the same sin and make the same commitments we made the year before. I challenged them on Saturday night. What if we went to church camp and we didn't have no sin to clean out of our lives? What if we showed up day one and we were ready to hear from God? There wasn't a process of having to be cleaned out. What, what if? How great could that week of camp truly be for us? So tonight, I want to preach to you a message, young people, specifically you, I'm sure I'll get to preach to um, the rest of the congregation, and certainly this is applicable for everyone in the congregation, but I specifically want to talk to you, and I want to preach to you, and, and give you a charge, and give you a truth that I think can help you carry out the commitments that you made at church camp this summer. So if, if you have your Bible, turn with me, uh, church, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians, or 1 Corinthians, rather, Chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Our focus verse tonight will be verse 58. I love this verse. Some of you probably know it by memory. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says... Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let me pray with you. Father, 
I'm so thankful for this time that we get to gather around your word and hear from you. I'm so thankful for the great day that you have already allowed us to have today and the great songs we were able to sing and the specials. Lord, even the specials from our young people, Lord, and the testimonies of our young people. Lord, it's a blessing. So, Lord, I just ask that you would help all of us to tune our hearts into your word. Help us to get our minds ready to hear you speak to us. And, Lord, I need your help. I, I, I cannot preach this message on my own, Lord. I, I, I know my limitations, Lord. I know my limitations as a preacher, Lord. And I, and I know, Lord, that I am just... A man, I'm just flesh and bones, Lord. I need your Spirit's anointing on this message and on my life for this to have any effect. It's going to do any good for us, Lord. Lord, your word is powerful. It's quick. It's sharp, Lord. I pray that, Lord, you'd use your Spirit to use your word in our lives, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Camp for me, uh, growing up, was always fun, but it was also very predictable. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Night one, camp, cooling, you know what I mean? Cooling in the back with my buddies, don't really care. Uh, in and out of the service, in and out of the message. I remember one year, this guy named L, that was his name, L, he came to camp with us, and he was a counselor, and he was best friends with my youth pastor. L was the kind of guy that got a haircut twice a week. Had a real nice fade all the time, kept his edge up clean. I think he did his edge up like once a day. Uh, so he kept the back of his head pretty, pretty shaved. And he had like this fatty tissue on the back of his head that like, if you touched it, it would like move around. <laughs> it was hilarious. So we would, we would sit behind L and we would flick that fatty tissue during the service. And I'm sure he just wanted to kill us. He actually, like, threatened us and, you know, got all gangster loco on us one time. But we're like, you know, we're sixth graders, like, flipping this piece of fatty tissue on the back. So that was typically night one. Didn't take it very seriously, obviously. We're, we're flicking the back of people's heads. Night two, that's pretty much the same thing. Night three, we'd start to get uh, a little bit more serious. And we'd start paying attention to the, the sermons, and we would get into the song service, and God's finally starting to break in on our heart. And then night four comes, and now we're going to the altar, and we're responding, and we're making commitments. And then night five comes, and here comes the blubber session. You know what I mean? Everyone's crying, everyone's repenting, everyone's getting sent out of our lives. There's always that one girl that gets saved every single year at camp. <laughs> or at least in our youth group, it was like that. At our church camp, it was like that. Um, so that's, that's typically how it was. Whether I voiced it or not, though, each year I probably made some sort of decision or commitment to God at camp. When I would return to camp, you know how it is, you'd be on fire for a week, maybe two. But then you start slowly backsliding, and you start making steps back, all the way back to where you were, and the next year comes around and you go through the process all over again. I want to challenge you, young people, to not take steps back. Don't give room to the devil. Don't give room to your flesh. Sometimes we give the devil too much credit. Don't give room to your flesh. Don't take steps back. Hey, 
Christianity, it's a life of progress. In Hebrews, it's referred to as a race. It's not a race that we decide we want to step on the sidelines and get a sip of Gatorade and, and get back in when we want to. No, it's a, it's a race that is for our whole life and it's to be ongoing. So, hey, all those weights, all those sins, all those struggles that you shed to make yourself lighter for the race, don't take steps back and, and go pick them up. Let's continue making progress. We read our text, that will be our primary application point for the night, but in order to grasp what verse 58 is saying, we've got to do a little bit of context. Now, uh, I'm no um, uh, dummy here. I, I know 1 Corinthians 15 is, is a big chunk of scripture to bite off, so we're not going to make our way through this whole thing, and we're not going to go line upon line and precept upon precept. We're going to look at, at uh, two big chunks a couple big truths, then we're going to apply verse 58. So, so stick with me if you would. Verse, verse 1 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. Paul re-preached the gospel of Christ to the Corinthians and told the eyewitnesses accounts of his resurrection. You see, the, the gospel Paul preached to the Corinthians was nothing new to the Corinthians. The gospel is nothing new to you. Some of the truths and stuff that you heard this week, that's nothing new to you. You know, I used to think as a young preacher that, uh, man, I, I can never preach the same thing twice. Can never do it. I, I, I would uh, think if I preach the same thing twice and I'm just not that creative and I, I'm just not that good of a preacher. And it, the thought of being a pastor and having to preach fresh content over and over again and always finding something new to preach in the Bible, it just made me sh like shiver. It made me shake in my boots, if you will. Um, but the Apostle Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. He says, I've preached it once to you. I'm going to preach it again to you. And hey, friend, I want to tell you, there's, there's nothing wrong, young people in church alike, there's nothing wrong with hearing the gospel more than one time. We need daily reminders of the truth of the gospel. Each day I need to think about what Jesus Christ did for me on that cross. It's not just for new converts. I, there, there's one preacher who says, you should never preach the gospel in a Sunday uh, service, or you should never preach the gospel on a Sunday night or a, or a Wednesday night. You should do that when you're out soul winning. But hey, we need the gospel just as much as lost people do. We do. It keeps us going. We also see here in verse uh, 2, the gospel is the means of their salvation. Hey, stick with me. We'll get to the good stuff. We'll get to the part where I'm screaming at you and, 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 and stuff in scripture down your throat. But stay with me. We need to understand why Paul said what he said in verse 58. Verse 2, you'll notice that the gospel is uh, the only way a person is saved. There are no two ways to salvation. Hey, if you went to church camp, don't think that saves you. If you're coming to church tonight, don't think that saves you. Don't... Because you're going to come to impact in the fall or because you come to Sunday school now, that, that doesn't save you. Good things don't save you. There's only one way to heaven. There was a preacher who went to India and uh, he was talking with other religious leaders, a, a Buddhist. Sounds like a bad joke, you know, a Baptist preacher, a Buddhist, a Muslim, you know, a Catholic. It sounds like a bad joke, but it's a really, really uh, a true story. And so he's talking to this group of uh, religious leaders. And they're being courteous to one another, being friendly. And, and uh, so the Baptist preacher says, so let's say God's on a mountain. 
what you're telling me is that it's the same God, but there's just different routes up the mountain to get to him. And they said, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're getting it. Like, wow, a Baptist is actually getting what we're talking about here. And he said, okay, what if I told you that that God came down off the mountain and came to you, and you didn't even have to go to the mountain? They said, wow, that would be great. And he said, well, let me introduce you to Jesus. You see, there's only one way to heaven. There's only one person whose work was good enough for God to accept you or me or anyone else into his kingdom. There's no Confucius way. There's no Buddha way. There's no Muhammad way. There's, there's no uh, selling your soul to Satan and think it's going to work out all right for you. No, there's only one way to escape God's wrath in your life. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but we need it. It's Jesus Christ. Notice with me in verse 3, the gospel defined. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. At camp, we, uh, our teens, they played some pretty complicated games. Games I had never seen at church camp before, quite frankly. And so I had to step back and watch it like two or three or four times to like, really understand what was going on. And, and they're so bright, you know, and quick thinking, they just picked it right up. But me, I'm thinking, man, this is hurting my head. I don't understand these, these, these games. See, when I was in church camp, we, we had games like basketball, where there's an orange ball, it goes into a hoop, and then you do whatever you can to keep the other team from putting the ball in the hoop. It's a great game, really simple. I love it. There's also another great game, it was my favorite, called dodgeball. It's the blood sport of church camp. So what we would do, really simple, you'd find the kid that was the most annoying kid in the other church, and you would try to bloody his nose with a dodgeball. It's that simple. I love it. These kids were playing games. These guys were playing games. I just didn't understand. Hey, don't you love the simplicity of the gospel? Super simple. He was crucified, he was buried, and he resurrected. And all we have to do to be saved by that is place faith in it, believe in it, accept what he did for you on the cross. Man, I love how simple the gospel of Jesus Christ is. To finish off this section, the risen Christ, we'll see, uh, I'm not going to read through it, was seen by more than 500 people. First, he was seen of Cephas, Peter. Then he was seen of all the apostles together. Then he was seen of 500 brethren at once, and James, and all of the apostles. We don't even know how many that includes. And then he was seen of Paul. That's a lot of people to see Jesus resurrected, right? And that's a ton of eyewitness accounts there. You know, it's so funny to me that we will believe things that have no evidence in them whatsoever. And a lot of people have such a hard time believing the gospel. Tell me if you've heard a story like this. Becky. Oh, my word. You are not going to believe what I saw today. Jason, yeah, your boyfriend, guess what? Saw him at Walmart with another girl. Oh, you did. You saw Jason at Walmart with another girl. Are you kidding me? Pulls out the phone. Jason, 
it is over. I never want to talk to you again. I never want to see you again. I hate you. You disgust me. We're done. Sin. Jason gets it, and he's kind of shook up, like, what in the world's going on? Jason responds, what are you talking about? Becky responds, oh, you know, Mary Ann, she, she told me that she saw you with that girl at Walmart. I know you're dating someone behind my back. Mary Ann, she saw you. To which Jason responds, Becky, that was my sister. <laughs> There's no evidence. And yet people oftentimes believe the most silliest of things in the form of rumors. But yet we have this Bible that says more than 500 people saw Jesus Christ and even evidence is on top of the Bible, or below the Bible, rather, of eyewitness accounts and people that were historians in the time that said, yeah, Jesus Christ, he, he lived on this earth. He walked on this earth. He was crucified. He did claim to be the Son of God. He is a real person, young people. He's not fairy tale. He's not a fake person. He's not a mentioned in teen class. King David, he's not like King Farquaad. He's not this made-up character, you know. It's not Jesus either. Jesus wasn't made up. In verse 12, we come to a problem, and we see why Paul is writing this chapter in the first place. Look at verse 12. It says, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection from the dead? There's a problem there. There were some in the church in Corinth that were saying, Hey, there's no resurrection of the dead. How could Christ rise when a resurrection isn't even possible? See, young people, there's, there's major consequences to a Christ that's still in the grave. Like, major, major consequences to a Christ that is still in the grave. If there's no resurrection, that was the argument. There's no such thing as a resurrection. If there's no resurrection, Jesus did not rise from the grave. Point blank, period. If, if that's impossible, it didn't happen for Jesus either. If Christ did not rise from the grave, our faith is vain. I'm not reading the verses, but that's what Paul's saying here. If Christ did not rise from the grave, we're a bunch of liars and deceivers. We're going out and telling everybody, hey, we've got this Savior, and he can save you because he rose from the grave. If he's still in there, we're a bunch of phonies. We're just lying to people, deceiving them. If Christ did not rise from the grave, we're still lost in our sin. If Christ did not rise from the grave, all who have believed in Christ since the time of his death are all dead with zero hope for an afterlife in heaven with God. That's a problem with me. I've got love people that are dead and gone on to what I think they're in heaven. And if Christ is in a grave still today, that means there's someone else. I've got a problem with that. If Christ did not rise, we are the saddest people on this earth. He says we're of men most miserable. We're the saddest people on this earth believing in a savior, a savior that couldn't even save himself. What's the point if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, really? Like if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, what are we doing here? I, I can go back to cutting hair. I can go back to work at Home Depot. I, I don't need the ministry if he didn't rise from the grave. What's the point? Paul says that you don't have to turn over there. Paul says in verse 30, and why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. See, 
some people believe that when Paul said there, I die daily, they, they think that means, or believe that that means, that Paul woke up every day and he said, I die daily to myself and to my sin. No, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul's saying, hey, I literally die daily for what I believe. Why do I stand in jeopardy? Why do I go into Ephesus and get beat up? Why do I go into towns and, and get stoned with stones and get drug out? Why do I take this abuse? Why do I get locked up in jail? Why do I get persecuted if Jesus is still in the grave? What's the point? He said, I die daily. I, I, my life would be so much better if I wasn't preaching this gospel. What's the point? Spoiler alert. <laughs> Verse 20. Paul proclaims this. But now is Christ risen from the dead. Take a sigh of relief. I know you're on your edge of your seat there. You weren't sure how that was going to turn out. But take a sigh. He's alive. In the rest of the chapter, Paul explains what the resurrection body will be like and how that we have victory over death. But we're not going to take the time to go through the whole text. Let's, let's get right to verse 58 and see what we should do about the truths we have learned this evening. Verse 15 starts off by saying this. Our verse 58 says, therefore. What Paul is saying with that word therefore is this. Because of what I have just said. Now, team, let me break it down to your vernacular. Let me put it on your level here, okay? It's going to be down here. I expect you to get it. Son, daughter, what is with this pile of clothes right here on the floor? And wait a minute, is that my favorite coffee mug under that pile of towels? I've been looking for that for a year. And, and your bed, mister, or missus, it looks like a tornado hit it. Well, Mom, we do live in Kansas. No, this room is disgusting. And because it's disgusting, clean it. That's what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying, therefore... Because of everything that I have just said to you, this is what I want you to do. Number one, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable. The Corinthians were to stand firm in the teachings that they had received from the Apostle Paul. And I want to urge you tonight, young people, stand firm on this book. Stand firm on the truths that you get taught here week after week, after week. Hey, <laughs> between Pastor Prater and Pastor Tyler, y'all get to sit under some of the greatest preaching this country has to offer. I firmly believe that. It's amazing preaching. You get taught awesome truth, good doctrine every single week. Hey, stand firm on it. But I also want to say this, because we're talking about teen night here. Stand firm on the commitments you made at church camp. Stand firm on those. <laughs> I wasn't going to do this, Aubrey. I'm sorry. But I'm going to use you as an illustration here just to kind of add color to what stand firm means. I wasn't going to do this. It's all good. It's all good. So we're playing this game with a big ball. Right? Big old ball. It's <laughs> a huge ball. <laughs> and uh, so girls play with girls. Guys with guys. You know, we don't want broken necks or anything like that. So there's about nine girls trying to stop this ball from going across their, um, their boundary line, right? I see Aubrey. 
clear other side of the field, takes off in a dead sprint to run into this ball to just give it that last push. Nothing. <laughs> I, I died. It was hilarious. You can't, there's nine girls on an Aubrey. You couldn't have done nothing about it. Next time, lead with your feet and drop kick it, you know. No, that, but that, that ball for me symbolizes what it means to stand firm. You know what I mean? It didn't budge. It, it, just trying to get serious now. It's not working. It didn't budge. It, it didn't move. And that's what Paul's commanding you to do. To be steadfast. Unmovable. Some of you made commitments to read your Bible every day. Don't back off on that. If your boundaries here, and you're standing right here, and you just don't feel like reading your Bible today, don't, don't step back and say, okay, you can have it today. We'll play again tomorrow. Some of you have vowed you're going to pray every day. Some of you made commitments. You're going to pray every day. Hey, don't, don't back off on that. Stand firm. Stay committed. There's some of you that have a problem with a, a man friend or a girlfriend. And you told yourself at church camp, no, I'm not going to talk to them when I get back. All they want me for is my body. I, I, I'm not going to talk to them when I get back. I'm not, I'm not going down that road when I get home. I'm not going to let me use them, use me for that. It can't be guy or girl. Hey, when they text you this week, they say, do you want to hang out? Stand firm on that commitment. Don't give place to the devil. Some of you, hey, some of you this week, you know what you did? You, you walked down to the altar. You drew out your sword. You saw your agag, and you sliced him to pieces. Blood went everywhere. It was awesome. Don't start piecing him back together this week. Don't start giving him room to breathe this week. Stand firm on that. Keep that sword in your hand just in case, you know, like when, when a snake dies and it still slithers a little bit. Keep that sword ready to stab him. Stand firm on it. Stand firm, young people, on the commitments that you made to not only yourself, but you made them to the Lord. Stand firm. Number two, always be abounding in the work of the Lord. Don't get comfortable where you're at. It's one thing to say, you know, I've, I've been to camp. God's dealt with me. Now I can just kind of take it easy the rest of the year. Hey, don't get comfortable. Keep abounding. Keep growing in what God wants to do in your life. I remember when I first surrendered my life to Christ. I didn't know how to read the Bible. I didn't know how to pray. And when I graduated high school, this was two years before I really surrendered my life to Christ, a family that had kind of took time and invested in me a little bit, didn't go to our church or nothing. They were actually sponsors for my uncle who just got out of jail. Really long story. Um, but they came to my graduation, and they gave me a New International Version, NIV Version, Life Application Study Bible. And when I first surrendered my life to Christ, I, I picked up that Bible, and I began to read it for like three to five minutes at a time. And I would get done reading it, and like I would sit down and be like, oh, man, I'm stuck, you know, like, that's a lot of scripture I just read. I just gave five minutes to it, you know. I was stuffed, you know, and what I'm trying to say is today, you know, I can, 
read 30 minutes, an hour. And that's no pat on my back. It's really not. There are people that read tons more than I do in the Bible. There, there's people that read the Bible four or six times a year. So it's not a slap on my back. What I'm just trying to say is keep growing. Don't get comfortable with reading a, a, a proverb a day. Though a proverb a day is great. It's awesome. It's a great starting point. Don't get comfortable with the, the verse of the day that you version sends out. Don't get comfortable with that. Keep growing in your Bible reading. Some of you that you committed to pray. This is just kind of the big topics that y'all talked about tonight. You committed to pray. Some of you might start for two minutes a day. Seriously, it might. There was a time when I would kneel to pray for two minutes and, and I'd fall asleep in one minute. Don't get stuck with two minutes, though. Extend that time you spend with the Lord. Keep growing. Hey, one thing that we do, adults that hurt our young people, is we have really low expectations for them. I want to raise the bar for you. Because I think you're capable of taking me up on it. Keep growing. Keep abounding. There's some of you here that you've never even once thought about participating in a ministry. I know I certainly never thought about participating in ministry when I was in high school. So I want to challenge you. Abound in the work of the Lord. Jump into some ministry, whether that be bus or some children's ministry. Or maybe you just want to grab ten or a coffee before each uh, Sunday morning Sunday school. If that's what you want to do, hey, do a ministry. Keep abounding. But still, what's the point? What's the point of standing firm, church? What's the point of abounding? The, words, the word labor here that P Paul uses, it's like a labor of like 16-hour days toil labor. He says, always be abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. He's talking about... <laughs> Wear yourself out for the Lord. Make yourself uncomfortable for the Lord. There's a rest coming, but while you're here, make yourself weary for the Lord. That's what he's saying. So, so what's the point? Why would I go through all this? Why would I read my Bible 30 minutes a day? Why would I stay away from that guy or that girl that I committed to the Lord that I would never talk to again? Why would I step away from those friends that bring me down and that all they want me to do is do bad things with them? Why in the world would I do that? Because he's alive. The ramifications for Jesus Christ being alive are huge. Abraham, great story. You know how I know that story of, about Abraham is true? Because he's alive. Story of Noah and the ark, that's a pretty hard story to believe telling me two little centipedes or uh, snails even, or ants, gnats, two by two went up on this ark. You know how I can believe that? He's alive. Moses. What a guy. Just plants that staff and whoo! Water spreads. You know how I, know I can believe that? He's alive. Every single prophecy that ever came true about Jesus Christ. You know how I know I can believe that? Someone say it for me. Hey, man. He's alive. It's awesome. Do you know how I know that I'm saved and forever going to have a home with him in heaven? He's alive. That's our battle cry. Everything about our Christian life hinges on that. 
Either he's alive or he's not alive. Everything hinges on that. I won't even argue with anybody about uh, Christianity or doctrine or anything like that unless we get past the point of either he's in the grave or he's not. Everything hinges on that. Young people, do you know how you can be steadfast and stand firm in those commitments that you've made and that you can keep progressing in the Lord and not just getting comfortable? Do you know how you can do that and uh, be satisfied with doing that and, and know that that's not in vain? By knowing that Jesus Christ is alive. As we get ready for invitation tonight, I want to ask you this. When the musicians begin to play, will you come down to this altar? And uh, now that you're back in the world, now that you're back on the battlefield, will you recommit to God those things you committed to him at camp and ask for his help to do so? You can't do it on your own. You can't keep those commandments on your own. You can't keep those commitments. You can't keep the promises you made on your own. You need his help. And it's real now. We're not at, we're not at utopia no more. It's real now. So as she begins to play, you don't have to grab a counselor. You don't have to grab a group. Just come pray by yourself. Come to the altar and recommit those things. Solidify those things in your heart. Now that you're on the war zone, Satan's war zone, your flesh's war zone, come recommit to him and ask for God's help to do a great work in you and to, commit, to keep those commitments. So as she plays, would y'all come? <laughs>